Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we're talking about this concept of the gospel. What is the gospel? Now, I think for most people, they have an understanding of what that word means, but I wanted to dive into this a little bit and talk about the reason why we have four gospels, because we're talking about the gospel of Matthew, and the larger part of the series is an introduction to the gospels. And I want to start just from this very basic idea of what the gospel means, what is a gospel, and why it's important for us to study that. So essentially, the word gospel in the way that we're going to be talking about in our context is it's a genre. And genre means the kind of writing that a work is. So whether it's poetry or a letter or prophecy in biblical terms, in the gospel context of scripture, gospel is a genre. And it's grouped together in the Bible at the beginning of the New Testament. And it's essentially biographies about the life of Jesus. Now, many people have a little bit of confusion on how to read the Gospels because there's four of them. And, you know, when I was a young believer, one of the things that was always confusing for me is I would read the Bible the way I would read any other book from start to finish. And I had this assumption that it was chronological. And what I didn't realize is that there's a lot of parts of the Bible that are all happening at the same time. So you might have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talking about the same time frame, but I would automatically think that maybe Matthew came first or, or Mark came before John. But essentially what we have to understand is, especially with the Gospels in, in the New Testament, there is an overlap of these same time periods. I had thought about doing what's called a harmony of the Gospels, where we would go through the Bible stories one at a time and look at them through each of the various time periods and through each of the various authors. But the reason why I decided not to do that is a couple things that we're going to get into. I want you to think about Gospels in maybe some easy to understand examples. For example, when you go to the library and you look for a biography on someone maybe like Abraham Lincoln. There's going to be different historians that have different things that they want to emphasize. I looked on Amazon and on Amazon with the search engine searching Abraham Lincoln, there was over 10,000 books about him. There was books that covered his presidency or his politics. There was books that talked about his character. There were some books that talked about his whole life and some that talked about just his childhood years. Some talked about his thoughts on the Bible. Some talked about his war years. So there was one that even talked about Abe Lincoln as a pro wrestler. It was different ideas around the words that he said and the things that he did. Ancient historians had particular themes that they wanted to emphasize. History was full of clear moral, political, and theological agendas, and it was expected that the readers would draw lessons from these works. 
So if we're thinking about this in terms of genre, I think it's important to recognize that the way that these were written and the way they were meant to be read was from start to finish. So if you're reading about Matthew or from the book of Matthew, you have an understanding of perhaps the lens through which Matthew was writing. And it's different for each one of these gospel writers. Now, the question you might be thinking of is, who were these guys? And to be perfectly honest, when I first started reading the Bible, that was my question. Why do I care what Matthew has to say? Or why is John's words important? How do they know what to include, what not to include? Well, for using our Abraham Lincoln example, Abraham Lincoln, one of the books that talked about him on Amazon was a vampire book. And you and I both know that that's probably not the most reliable writer to be looking for information about Abraham Lincoln's presidency. Abraham Lincoln's political decisions that impacted slavery were based on the facts of what actually happened a historical record, that will be something that is reliable. And so even with the way that we would read about Abraham Lincoln, we're going to want to look for the writers that are the most reliable in those situations. In terms of scripture, the most reliable writers were Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were written, those books were written when eyewitnesses were still in positions of authority in the church and oral tradition could be checked because of people that were alive at the time. And so this supports a higher degree of reliability. They were written within the first two generations when the teachings of Jesus were still fresh in the memories of the sources of the writers. The sayings. I want to talk for a minute about the sayings. Students carefully learned the sayings of their teachers in that culture, and they would often take notes to help them memorize. And so that's why it's important to understand the sayings of Jesus. But when it comes to the reliability, I want to make a couple points. You know, if you've been with the podcast for a while, the audio podcast at least, you know that this past year we did an in-depth study on the Psalms. Actually, it's been over a year that we're studying the Psalms, going through one Psalm at a time. And the reason why we studied the Psalms was because we know from reading the Gospels that Jesus and the disciples quote the Psalms. And in fact, that's the, the one book of the Old Testament of the Torah that is quoted the most by Jesus and the New Testament writers. And so we know that the Psalms are important to them. Well, also we know that Jesus and the disciples, because of the cultural aspect of how they learned the Torah at the time, they committed a lot of those Psalms to heart. They understood them. They knew them. They were on the tips of the hearts, their minds, and their tongues. In the same way, In the New Testament, disciples ordinarily learned their teachers' sayings well, often very extensively. There were some students of different schools that would even repeat back what those teachers' lectures were from the previous day before they would even get out of bed in the morning. They had a very intentional way of understanding and learning that content in their culture. And so for the disciples of Jesus, they were very rigorous in preserving the teachings of the masters. For Jesus and the importance that was placed, a lot of these disciples became the teachers of the sayings of Jesus. And so it was especially important because it was their own instruction during those years and the decades that followed that would be the content that the disciples would be repeating and teaching that would be remembered worldwide eventually. Those are the things that you and I know. So it would be helpful to know that these selected teachings 
are a far better representation than anything else because of the time frame, because of the amount of time that the disciples spent with Jesus. And also, I don't know about you, but for me, when I teach something, I learn it far better. The other point I want to talk about is sequence. In the original culture, which one point I want to make about that and something you'll hear me say often in this podcast is that while scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an original audience that lived a long time ago. And you have to remember the kind of culture that they lived in, how they would have heard it. In their culture, no one expected the sayings that were taught to appear in sequence. You know, I think about the example of how I teach my children. A lot of times what I would teach my children is something that my grandparents would have said to me. And it's not necessarily in sequence or in the order of events that it happened when I teach those things to them. Instead, it's more situational. What comes up is the principle I'm trying to teach them based on what's happening. And so there were sayings in the same way that were sometimes passed on with the stories in which they occurred. And so for me, if I'm thinking about that in terms of the way I teach my children, sometimes something will spark something in me. So if one of my children wanted to take something from somebody else, I would replay a lesson that was learned from my grandmother when I tried to steal something as a young child. Or maybe there's other times where there's isolated situations. You know, my grandmother would often say, you have to suffer to be beautiful. She was from that generation that would say that. And so sometimes when I'm, you know, curling my daughter's hair and they're complaining about the curlers, I'll say, well, you know what Nana used to say? You have to suffer to be beautiful. It's situational. And so that would almost be like an isolated proverb. And so I think that's something we need to keep in mind. Sometimes critics of, of the Gospels, when they're looking at the fact that there's four different Gospels, will criticize the fact that maybe something comes earlier in Matthew's Gospel and later in Luke's Gospel. I don't necessarily think that's a problem based on just even human nature. But also remembering that in the culture in which it was written, nobody expected sayings to appear in sequence. Word for word is something I want to bring up. You know, in that culture, sometimes, especially in an agrarian culture, sometimes people didn't read. They didn't know how to read. And so what was more common would be the fact that things would be passed down orally. That was really common in that culture. And, you know, you don't always repeat things word for word when you're teaching something orally. You know, I think about my own children. And as my daughters get older, one of the things that I learned as a young child, or I guess a young teenager, my grandfather would say to me, you know, boyfriends are like buses. There'll be another one by in 15 minutes. And, you know, maybe the first time he said it, he said they'd be 20 minutes apart. That's not the point. The point is we don't have to get so caught up if a boy doesn't like us because there'll be another one. And I think it's the heart and the point that makes the the point or the saying a point of teaching versus the exact verbatim word for word. You know, another part about that is it was almost impossible for the words of Jesus that were said many times in Aramaic to be said word for word in Greek because it's two different languages and the gospels are written in Greek. And so Jesus's words would sometimes differ slightly from gospel to gospel because they were translating them. You know, we expect differences like that because paraphrasing a saying in your own words 
that's a standard that we commonly understand. And it's an exercise or a common technique that was used in ancient times. And those that who would conclude that a different gospel writer would contradict another gospel writer because they quoted Jesus differently, they're not really paying attention to how words were written in antiquity or even how we speak today. You know, we have to recognize that sometimes Jesus did speak Aramaic, especially when he was speaking to the Galileans. And maybe sometimes he spoke Greek. And maybe sometimes when they were translating those sayings, they were talking to a Greek audience or a Roman audience or an Aramaic audience. And so sometimes those words are going to be a little bit different. You know, when I talk to my friends that I work with, maybe in the Caribbean, I may explain things to them a little bit differently than when I'm saying the same content or the same concept to my friends that live in East Africa. I have knowledge of the audience and the way that they're going to best receive that. I think that's important to keep in mind because the different gospel writers were sometimes writing to different audiences. Another thing I want to mention is literary technique. You know, the Greek way of writing, and we talked about this yesterday, about the Hellenization of that part of the world or the Greekification of that part of the world. There were certain literary conventions that permeated most of the literature that was written during that time that was written now in the Greek language. And that was applied both to the historical books, which is like the gospels, the biographies, and also novel writing. And so the writers of a topical biography would have complete freedom to rearrange their sources. And so it doesn't surprise us or it shouldn't surprise us that Matthew and Mark often have events in the ministry of Jesus in different order. And I think there was a literary agency that they took as they were gathering all this information. And, you know, if I think back to even last month when I went on vacation And somebody this week says to me, how was your vacation not last month? And I talk about the zoo. We went to the zoo. Or then I talk about the amusement park. And then I talk about the beach. Well, if you ask my husband or or maybe my daughters, they might reserve or reverse that order in a different way. They might say, oh, well, we went to the beach and we went to the amusement park and we went to the zoo. The heart of the message is the same, even if the events are even within that one week span are changed up a little bit. I think we need to not get so caught up on the order and get to the heart of the message. Jesus, like a lot of the other Jewish teachers, surely repeated the same sayings on separate occasions, repeating the same truth and the same heart of his message to different audiences. And some of his sayings probably occur in different places in the Gospels simply because the writers were exercising that freedom that ancient biographers would have used to rearrange their material. And that's a freedom that enabled the gospel writers, just like preachers do today, to preach Jesus as well as report about him, but still recounting his words and his deeds accurately. Ancient Christians knew that Christian teachings were not necessarily in chronological order. And you know what? They really didn't have a problem with it. And I don't think we should either. One of the other questions that comes up is some people ask, why are there only four? Well, by the time that Luke wrote his gospel, there were other works about Jesus in circulation. We learn about that from the book of Luke. We know that Mark was already in circulation when Luke was written. 
And many scholars believe that Luke, Matthew, and possibly Mark were referring to a common written source that were notes written by Matthew. And in fact, Mark's narrative, Mark's gospel was added, and that's how we formed our current gospel of Matthew. And so the only first century gospels that survived in the conservative Christian evangelical Bible. I'm not talking about Eastern Orthodox Bibles or the Apocrypha or the Catholic Bible. I'm talking about the Bible that you and I use that I refer to when I'm teaching. The ones that survived are the four that the church ultimately preserved as scripture based on their reliability, based on the access to the witnesses, and based on accuracy. There were later writers that composed some apocryphal gospels. But instead of reflecting significant information about the Jesus who lived in first century Galilee, they instead fit this form of almost like novel writing. And they derived their information from a lot of of the late second and third centuries oral tradition that at that point in time, because it had been so long, had been kind of changed to fit a certain narrative. Later, the Gnostics composed collections of sayings that they did attribute to Jesus but they were not really gospels in the traditional sense of the word because of so much time that had passed. The earliest date that some of those writings had been written was 120 years after the public ministry of Jesus. And it was so late, it was very hard to verify the authenticity of those, which is why they were not included. And so I think all of that is an easy way to summarize this understanding that The early church knew what they were doing when it came to understanding the canonization of scripture, meaning which books were included and which books were not. I want to talk a little bit about how to read the Gospels. Why would we read one at a time and not in chronological order? And to be perfectly honest, I did think about doing that, and I have done that in the past. That's called the harmony of the Gospels. But sometimes that can be really hard to follow, especially if you are a new believer They are not all in order, so you would have to jump around from each book. And again, like I said, they were not all written to the same audience, and so the language would have been a little bit different. And that's not really how they were meant to be read. I also think there's nuances that we pick up that we learn when we read consistently from one author. For example, Luke was a doctor. And so when we read from the book of Luke, we see details that the other gospel writers may have overlooked. Details about the women, details about healing, details about the marginalized of society, because as a doctor, he was trained to look at those things. I think that's something that you could easily miss when you're bouncing around. The way that they were written, they were meant to be read the whole way through rather than jumping from a passage in one book to a passage in another. And I want to make sure we don't miss that. Each of the four gospels was written separately to different readers and was meant to be read on its own terms before the reader moved on to a different gospel. And so I think we should therefore work through each gospel following the flow of thought from each of those gospels. So what's our response? Ancient biographies had morals to their stories. That was the way that they wrote. And so they set forth characters as positive or negative examples. And so for us as the reader, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Number one, and I say this a lot, sometimes scripture is descriptive and sometimes scripture is prescriptive. And we'll go through that together. But just because somebody's story is included 
in the Bible doesn't mean that we're supposed to act like them. In fact, there's a lot of people in the Bible that we shouldn't be acting like. And so it comes down to telling the difference between those two. But also, especially with the Gospels, it's important to try to understand what that moral of that story is. How does that story help me relate to Jesus better? What does it teach me about the character of the God that I serve? What does it reveal about his character and nature in my own life? Those are some important reflection questions. And what I try to do with each episode is give you a journaling prompt where if you're not going to journal about it, at least think about it, meditate on it, maybe discuss it at dinner. The other point I wanted to make is reading versus hearing. Although we speak of reading the gospel, I will talk about reading the gospels together. Most people in antiquity would have heard them, not necessarily have read them. And so, like I said, many people could not read. Very few people had the economic resources to get their own copies of these books. And so instead, a person who could read would read the Gospels to a gathered group of people, a group of believers, and most people would hear the Gospels. So in that sense, I think that we should speak of them as audiences rather than readers. I think there's a lot of value in listening As I go through each of these episodes, I will read the gospel message for the day, that passage at the beginning and at the end of each episode. And I think that gives us this element of understanding and recognizing how they would have originally been heard. Each gospel writer may have had this special target audience in mind, but probably they most often hoped for a wider audience as well. And so in antiquity, the way that books would succeed would be that they would do well in these public readings, and then they would become circulated more widely, and then more copies would be made. Again, remember that these originally were written for us, but not to us. And so we want to try to put ourselves in the place of the original ancient hearers and listen to the words of Jesus as if we were hearing them for the first time from his own mouth. I think that's a challenge for us because many of us are familiar with the words of the gospel, but I would encourage you to listen with a clear heart and a clear mind and allow the language of Jesus to strike us the way it would have struck us the first time we heard it as hearers of the gospel. The gospels recorded the sayings of Jesus, and the goal is for them to be applied to other generations besides that first generation that Jesus was speaking to. And so part of the reason that the writers wrote them down would have been for their own generation, but also for the generations to come, which includes us. There's this expectation then that the people that hear these words would apply them to their own situation. And so before we can understand how the teachings of Jesus apply to our situations today, we have to understand what they meant and how they applied to those situations then. I think that's a really important part, and it's a missing link for a lot of us in Bible study, and I'm going to help you with that. One last thought. Some of the words that we'll hear, I'll do my best to try to explain them, especially if you're not familiar with them. You can always reach out to me either on the Facebook group or on social media, or you can email the show rachel at shehears.org. But some of the words that we come across may feel familiar, and you might just not understand fully what they are. I was that way. I would read the Bible. I would go to church, but somebody would refer to something. And you may have heard the term Christianese. It's like Chinese. If you don't speak Chinese, what do some of these words mean? One of the words that you hear with the study of the gospels is synoptic gospels. What's that mean? Pretty simply, it basically means that Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
overlap quite a bit. There's a lot of familiarity. So when you're studying and you're reading, a lot of what you're reading, since we're starting with Mark, I'm sorry, we're starting with Matthew, Mark and Luke will sound familiar. But John was written differently, and we will get to that later. But we just came out of studying John this summer, and we did the She Years Bible Study, which covers six different chapters of the book of John. We're going to revisit many of those stories when we study it in depth later this year. My point that I want to make today, and I guess the thing I want to leave you with, is the fact that we tend to learn by teaching. And so if there was something that you learned today, can you just share that with somebody else, maybe a coworker or a spouse or even one of your children? I tend to share it a lot with my teenagers because it's hard to get them pinned down to study the scripture. But if I can give them a sound bite or if I can give them a part of the podcast or if I can give them the top three things I learned for that day in my study, I tend to see it sticks with them. And then I hear that repeated by them as well as they share that with their friends. So just a little tip for you today. I think we learn by teaching. So are you excited to get into the book of Matthew? I'm excited to get into it with you. Again, if you have questions on anything, please, please reach out. So what I want to do now, and one of the things that I always do at the end of the show is I pray for you because I think prayer is this place of connection between God and us where we can open our hearts and ask him to enter into our everyday lives. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for my friends that are perhaps listening to the Hearing Jesus podcast for the first time this season. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts and minds and prepare those spaces for you, God, for your spirit to come in, to dwell, to reveal things that you want us to learn, Lord God. I thank you for this opportunity to be able to be hearers of the word, Lord. Help us to approach your gospel with fresh ears, with fresh eyes, with fresh hearts. Help us to be able to hear these words as if it was the first time the way that you said them originally. Father God, we thank you for the treasure that is your word. And I pray that as my friends continue to seek you, they would find you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, friends, before you go, I want to make sure you know about our Patreon page. The Patreon page is really a place to gain all sorts of resources specifically for the Hearing Jesus podcast and the Hearing Jesus for Kids podcast. There's a specific and dedicated private Facebook group, which is a place for me to interact with you, to pray with you, to answer questions. I'd love it for you to join us there. And there's also another level that gives you the inside scoop on everything else that's going on. The journaling prompts are there. If you've been with us for some time, you know that I usually do journaling prompts that helps us get that information from the head to the heart. We have a downloadable daily prayer prompt that helps you get that information processed in a way that it affects your daily life. There's also a Bible reading tracker on there. There's bonus episodes, lots of things on an ongoing basis, a place where you can get all the resources to help you grow in your faith. And the second thing I want to mention to you is the Dawn app, which if you've never heard of that before, I have good news for you. I just recently recorded a series for the Dawn app and also did some writing for them. And it's a daily Bible study and prayer app that is completely free. The link for that is in the show notes. And then the last thing I'm super excited about, I want to tell you that we're going to start having opportunities for travel. This is going to look a couple different ways, depending on what you're looking for, but it's going to cover things like mission trips in-person retreats, and also eventually a Bible study trip to Rome. What I'm doing right now is I'm getting everybody's contact information so we can start communicating about what that might look like. So if you are interested in any of that, you can head to shehears.org for more information. 
I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.